Welcome to Ordinary Fellowship, a podcast inspired by the Puritan practice of godly conference, or spiritual conversations among believers. These spiritual conversations offer practical spiritual help for Christian living. I'm Jeremy Lee, and with me as always is Matthew McLaughlin. Hey, Jeremy. We're back after a brief hiatus with Ordinary Fellowship. As I try to remember to say at the beginning, if you enjoy our podcast, make sure to like and subscribe to it uh, on what whatever podcast app you listen to us on. If you listen to us on a podcast app that allows you to rate the podcast, please rate us, give us a five-star review. Uh, anything less, just forget about it. Don't do that. <laughs> no. But anyways, that, that'll help us to be more visible. More people will be able to be it on their app and uh, things like that. So please like and subscribe and share episodes or share the entire podcast with friends, family, anyone else you may want to corrupt. So today we uh, are going to begin a new series. Uh, we're going to be talking about the secular creed. The title is based off of, of a book by Rebecca McLaughlin. Is that how you say it? Yes. It's not McLaughlin. This it's, is true. It's no relationship to Matthew. Well, probably distantly, but that's another story for another day. If it was, maybe she could just come. <laughs> but anyways, we're going to use the book, but not necessarily repeat what's in the book. We feel like this is a good avenue to discuss because you've probably all seen yard signs that say something to the effect that in this house we believe that black lives matter love is love women's rights are human rights we are all immigrants and diversity makes us stronger um there there's some other iterations of that same sign but that's the basic idea we're going to be looking at that some of them we will be in agreement with, uh, and we're going to explain how actually it's not, <laughs> it doesn't come from secular thinking, it comes from Christian thinking or Christian wisdom. And then there's others that we're obviously going to um, disagree with, and we're going to try to explain a Christian perspective on those things. I don't know that we're going to do necessarily an episode on immigrants or diversity, but, you know, we still have a couple weeks to make that decision, and we may do that. So any any thoughts on the series before we dig into the theme this week? Well, just to say that this, I hope that everyone sees this as an opportunity to work through couple of the topics we talked about before our hiatus about Christian wisdom and how you think through these things. And also this ties into the whole worldview idea. And so this is our attempt to try to use these examples to show what this looks like so that you can see both specifically on the issue, but also broadly how you work through these things from a worldview and wisdom perspective. All right, so let's dig in. The first statement in this uh, in, in this secular creed is that black lives matter. And of course, uh, Matthew and I affirm this statement. 
and it would be nice to affirm it without qualification. However, um, this statement, Black Lives Matter, is also the name of a progressive civil rights group, and because it's named that, it's this phrase in and of itself, though harmless and actually truthful, is to a degree corrupted because of its association with the group Black, Black Lives Matters. Black Lives Matters may be doing some good things. Um, I'm not really all that familiar with what they do. I do, but they are a progressive group, and uh, we we are not progressives. In fact, we don't think Christianity is progressive. Not that I'm arguing that it's necessarily politically conservative, um, but Christianity certainly is not progressive. This progressive idea came comes from modernist philosophy. And we as Christians reject pretty much all of modernist philosophy as wrong-headed. So we, we certainly are not embracing this group and the things they stand for. If all they stood for were the value of the lives of black people, then we would be more likely to be in agreement with them. However, they also push for gay and trans rights, and we're not going we obviously disagree with their viewpoint on that we're not going to get into that today that will be uh, later discussions but they believe that all of these things are intricately tied together uh, but i would make a distinction black people african americans this is not a moral issue they're not moral because they're black. They're not immoral because they're black. It is doesn't involve morality. It doesn't involve the moral law of God. Whereas these other things certainly do involve the moral law of God. So we see these, these ideas uh, of racism and prejudice as being distinct from how uh, gay, lesbian, transgender people are treated. And we'll get to more of that uh, in the next couple episodes, but um, we don't want that to be a distraction right now. But this is one of our issues with the group, is that they do support, they, they're more broad than just dealing with, um, with black lives. So, any thoughts so far, Matthew? I'll just say the, another really fast, we're not going to deal with it, but just another reason why we disagree with the group is in their defining documents they call for the destruction of the nuclear family right and those I'd kind of things that, yeah. and so <laughs> so that's why at the same time their name we affirm their name we just don't associate or agree with how they work that name out in actual practice we would work, we're going to work it out differently even though we agree with the sentiment of black lives matter yeah we agree with the sentiment of the statement and we disagree with the organization right on a lot of things and destruction of a nuclear family is uh, very problematic another thing to recognize is that a lot of times uh, we we need to be aware that just some just because someone wears a shirt or is at a protest and they have a sign that say Black Lives Matter, it doesn't mean that that is the group there. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that they're with the group. Uh, there's many, many civil rights groups that uh, are involved in legitimate protests, not riots or 
looting. This is another problem with the group Black Lives Matter. They support political violence, and uh, we do not support political violence. There's a mixture of groups, and they have overlapping, and some overlap more than others. They have overlapping concerns, and some overlap more than others. All that to say, we agree wholeheartedly with the statement in and of itself. It's the group, Black Lives Matter, that we would have differences with. And and the way they go about what they do, we, we would differ with that. But we want this to be a positive presentation and not a critique of that group per se. So we want to talk about why Black Lives Matter. Before I do, though, one thing I do want to say, a lot of times when this is brought up, people will say, well, I think all lives matter. And obviously, we agree with that. We we believe, because the Bible teaches that all human beings, men and women, black and white, whatever your ethnicity is, um, you are created in the image of God. And so you're you have dignity and worth because you bear that image uh, within you. We believe that we, without hesitation, believe that all lives matter. We we affirm that as well. However, the there was a distinct reason why um, this statement came about: Black Lives Matter, rather than saying all lives matter, is because at the very least. I would say it's more than this, but at the very least, there's a perception that some black lives don't matter. And so black people, to protest that, to to counter, to bring attention to the fact that these things are happening to black Americans, use the statement Black Lives Matters to draw attention to th- things that they were struggling with, and, and they wanted... They wanted attention to be drawn to it. They were never saying, at least the, I mean, maybe Black Lives Matter the group was, but the majority were not saying that all lives don't matter and only black lives matter. Uh, They were just trying to draw, draw attention to the specific problems that they were facing. So we agree that all lives matter, and because all lives matter, black lives matters. All, all people were created with dignity and worth. All people were created, created equal, as it's stated in our, one of our founding documents. The Apostle Paul, uh, when he was preaching in Corinth, if I could find the verse, Acts chapter 17 and verse 26, when he was in Athens, he made this statement. Speaking of God, he says, he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. The King James, the old King James Version, instead of saying he made him by one man, it says he made him by one blood. So all as Christians... We believe that all people are descended from the first people, Adam and Eve, and all people equally bear the image of God, and therefore all people are equal in God's sight. Anything to add there, Matthew? No, nothing to add, just to concur with it and 
that I think one of the things that we have to be careful of is we approach far too many issues, first of all, from a political understanding as opposed to from a theological understanding, where as Christians, everything should be approached from a theological understanding to some degree first. And and then your theology should affect your politics, not the other way. And I think one of the problems that has happened in this is that we've gotten it reversed and we read, we read our theology through our politics as opposed to the other way around. That being said about the Bible and what it says, unfortunately, Christians in the past have not been faithful to understand the equal dignity and worth of all human beings. And so um, African-Americans, especially by white Europeans, were, um, were treated miserably uh, for a very long time, enslaved, and then even when Europe colonized Africa, they were, many of them were brutally treated because of very wrong ideas and oftentimes they used the Bible to support, in, in our view, they misused the Bible to support their viewpoint. We especially see that in, uh, in America, pre-Civil War and during the Civil War. Christians were arguing for slavery from the Bible, and then after the war, Christians used the Bible to argue for segregation. Uh, not just in the South either, but uh, in the North as well. Uh, it's it's a stain um, on Christianity uh, that the Bible was misused like that to abuse people and uh, mistreat them. Um, and I'm I'm thankful that there has been improvement in that that you would be hard-pressed to find a Christian continuing to support those ideas um, today. I don't know how to say it, but we've understood the Scripture better. Uh, we're not doing those things. It's not that we're perfect in our understanding of Scripture. Um, it's, not perfect. it's not that we're perfect in treating other human beings, but uh, there has been vast improvement um, and there's arguments about how far we still need to go. That's that's not really what we're going to discuss today. But we're in a better situation now than than we were then, and it, it's it's an ugly thing. But ultimately, while you had Christians arguing for slavery and segregation from the Bible, you also had, on the other hand, Christians arguing against slavery and and segregation using the Bible. Uh, I always forget his name. What, who's the guy from Wilberforce? Yes. William Wilberforce, motivated by uh, his Christian belief, spent his life working to end the slave trade in Britain and then eventually outlawing slavery in Britain. There were Christians, one of the ones that I could think of is B.B. Warfield and his father, I don't, off the top of my head, I don't remember his name. They were abolitionists, faithful, Bible-believing Presbyterians. Um, Charles Spurgeon was opposed to slavery and was opposed to the South during the Civil War. Uh, he was so opposed to it that 
people in the South wrote threaten wrote threatening Charles Spurgeon's life if he were to ever step foot in the South in America. Um, so he was he was very much opposed to slavery, and you know I mentioned mentioning a couple people that I know pretty well, but that's not all. Uh, I know Quakers especially were opposed to slavery. Now they're an unorthodox group, no doubt about it. Uh, but they, I don't think, were encouraged by secularism. Uh, but they were believed, they were encouraged by their view of the Christian faith to oppose slavery. So while we're saddened by those believers who supported slavery in the past, we also are gladdened, on the other hand, by those who were who stood by what the Bible actually teaches. Uh, and and some even a threat to their lives for it. And Wilberforce gave his entire life mm-hmm. to fighting the slave trade and ending slavery in England, and eventually he won that fight. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't have a Wilberforce in America uh, who was able to, so that we would be able to end slavery without fighting a war. Gladly, thanks be to God, slavery came to an end in America, and eventually... In God's providence, uh, legal segregation came to an end. One of the aims that I have in this is to show that the secular creed actually isn't secular. One of the books that uh, Rebecca McLaughlin continues to refer to in her book is a book by the atheist historian Tom Holland. Uh, His book is called Dominion. And in that book, Tom Holland's not the guy who plays Spider-Man. <laughs> the atheist historian Tom Holland. Uh, the point of this book is to show that Western Europe and North America are so influenced by Christianity that it becomes part of the warp and woof of who we are. And these secular rights really don't come from secularism. They ultimately come from um, Christianity. And she doesn't say this in the book, I don't think, but I've heard, I've read some of the book and I've listened to plenty of interviews with Tom Holland. And his point is we didn't get this idea of equality of all human beings from the Greeks and Romans. That's not where it came from. The big shift where equality started being something to think about was when Christianity became the dominant religion of Europe and then North America. So this is one of the things that she says about that. She says, Rebecca McLaughlin, to our 21st century Western ears, love across racial and cultural difference, the quality of men and women, and the idea that poor, oppressed, and marginalized can make moral claims on the strong and rich and powerful Sounds like basic moral common sense, but they are not. These truths have come to us from Christianity. Rip that foundation out, and you won't uncover a better basis for human equality and rights. You'll uncover an abyss that cannot even tell you what a human being is. I think that's a a very powerful statement. I guess I'm to summarize what I'm saying is Christianity. Christians in their practice, Christianity as it really is, is isn't doesn't have faults. <laughs> Christianity as it's practiced 
by sinners who profess faith in Jesus have had many faults. Um, Yet, because we're constantly being renewed by the Spirit and being returned to the Scriptures and understanding them, God works to bring us to a better understanding, and and we've we've overcome these things. I don't, does that make sense? I think so. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it doesn't sound right coming out of my mouth. It sounds right in my head, but anyway, um, because we've overcome those, and some people didn't overcome them. They never fell for the stuff. The moral basis of Christianity is coming through and showing the equal dignity and worth of every human being. And Christianity, when it first began, um, it was around mainly around the Mediterranean basin, right? Mm-hmm. Especially in northern Africa, but it penetrated into the lower parts of Africa. Even in the book of Acts, we see an Ethiopian eunuch, maybe not from Ethiopia, but could, could have been from Sudan, um, Either way, whether from Ethiopia or Sudan, this this person was in all likelihood black. So very early on, we see Christianity going into Africa, being embraced by black people. Uh, during even in, in slavery, sl- enslaved black people were embracing Christ as Savior, and and really what got what got slaves and and black people after the Civil War, during Jim Crow and all those kind of things, is their faith in Jesus. They they endured all their suffering through faith in Jesus Christ. And even now, in Europe, there's pockets of growth. But even now, in um, Africa, Christianity is growing in leaps and bounds. In fact, if it wasn't for Christians in Africa... The United Methodist Church would have already uh, wholeheartedly embraced uh, same-sex marriage, but it's the African bishops that are standing firm on what the Bible teaches that are keeping that from happening. So Christianity is growing in in Africa, and demographics tell us that it's just going to continue to grow, Um, and it won't be long, and Africa will be the dominant place where most of the Christians in the world live. I actually had somebody say something to the effect that he doesn't understand why black people would ever be Christians. Um, and and to an extent, considering the history of white Europeans, sometimes I wonder myself. Um, but I think it's because African Americans, black people, wherever they're from, can read the Bible for themselves and see this isn't a book that supports white supremacy. It it supports the equal dignity and worth of all human beings. And they see that Jesus died for people like them. Um, so Rebecca McLaughlin actually uh, mentions that, uh, I'll just read the whole quote. She says, white progressives dismiss Christianity because they associate it with white racism but they're failing to listen to black believers globally. They're also failing to listen to black people in America who are almost 10 percentage points more likely than their white peers to identify as Christians and who poll higher on every measure of Christian commitment, from church going to Bible reading to core evangelical beliefs. 
Both globally and in the United States, black women are the most typical Christians. As Yale Law Professor Stephen L. Carter writes, when you mock Christians, you're not mocking who you think you are. Uh, And this is going to be increasingly true as Christianity grows in Africa. So this whole progressive white idea that Christianity is a white man's religion is a farce. And it has been for a long time, but um, (laughs) I'm thankful for people to call that to light. Um, I I feel scatterbrained, Matthew. Help me (laughs) rein it all back in and get get me back on track. Okay, so if we just summarize what Jeremy's talked about, we support the statement Black Lives Matter because fundamentally in Scripture all life has inherent dignity and worth. This is a biblical theological concept. It is not something, no matter how what progressives want to say, it's not a secularism concept. It is rather a concept that's ingrained in the fiber of Scripture because ultimately every human being is made in the image of God. And since every human being is made in the image of God, then as Christians, we have a responsibility to make sure that all those lives matter, no matter who that life is, no matter if they're white, if they're black, if they're male, if they're female, if they're abled or disabled, whatever they are, we have a responsibility for that life to the degree that we can seek to assist that life into living the life that God has called it to, so it, fulfi- it fu- so that that life will fulfill the fulfill the potential that God has granted to that life. And so, when we see end- when when we see other individuals seek to limit the potential of, in this instance, African American or Black life, then we have a responsibility to speak against that limiting of that potential because. To limit the potential means that ultimately what's happening is you have someone playing God and determining that they know more than God, and God's the one who has determined that all life matters because it's made in his image as we talked about. I'll read another paragraph, and hopefully this helps us. This is her summary at the end, and I think this will help us kind of wrap put this episode into context. She goes, she says this. She says, Christians must work for justice for historically crushed and marginalized people. Because Jesus came to bring good news to the poor and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Christians should be the first to fight for racial justice and to pursue love across racial differences, not because of any cultural pressure from outside, but because of the scriptural pressure from inside. Black Lives Matter is at heart a Jesus song, and we must sing our Savior's songs, no matter who else plays the tune. And I think there's a lot of loaded words in that statement i understand that and you can we can have those conversations but ultimately if you study the life of jesus jesus spent his time with poor and the marginalized he didn't go to the near to wells the well doers he spent his time with publicans and sinners that's why he it's why he got himself in trouble with the pharisees constantly why are you hang out with the publicans and the sinners for us then to look at a group of people and say, well, we don't need to spend time or we don't need to seek to help them reach their potential is how we get ourselves in trouble. And we can have arguments or conversations, discussions, however we want to phrase it, with what oppressed means. 
I don't think we can be intellectually honest and say that African Americans are not at a higher propensity in certain situations to be to face more difficulty that leads towards oppression, whether you want to talk about redlining or the residue of Jim Crow laws or those kind of things. It exists. Yes, they exist in other contexts, in other ways. I understand that. We, but you, we can't just push under the rug and say, well, all lives matter and let's move on. That's just, that doesn't work. Right. And we're not, we're obviously not promoting critical theory. Right. Or a social gospel or anything like that, which I think she tends to. And that's, you know, that's why I'm not. <laughs> right. That's why we're not uh, just following everything in the book partially. But, and there can be discussions about those things. But I think the bottom line is, is that we need to see value in our black brothers and sisters and and when we do see prejudice and racism, whether it's somebody using racial slurs or mistreating somebody, something needs to be said about it. And if it is broader in the fabric of a culture, if we do see places like that, we should be standing up against it. We shouldn't tolerate or put up with it. Everyone is created with equal dignity and worth in the eyes of God. Um, Anyway, I could say a lot more right. about white liberals and their prejudice, but uh, <laughs> I, I think you don't want a grumpy old man going on a rant. <laughs> I understand. I will say the one piece I want to add to what Jeremy just said is got me thinking: is if we see Christians behaving in a way of treating marginalized people wrongly. One of the the things that should check in our hearts and is that there's not an understanding of the gospel. Then we we misunderstand the gospel if we believe that God has made one class or one group or one collection of people to be treated in an inferior manner, and so. While it's wrong, but still under be able to be understood that non-believers would seek to do that, would treat a group of people, would marginalize a group of people. For the church to do it, for those who have a have a biblical understanding of life and the gospel, it is it should be completely antithetical to everything we think and believe and how we live out that gospel to treat people in a way that we would argue that somehow black lives don't matter as much. I I think it's like uh, Paul says about other sins in, I think, Galatians, that it should not even be named among us. Right. Sadly, it is. And, And we need to root that out of ourselves as well. I mean, when we not only, not only do we need to rooted out of other people, but if we see it in ourselves, uh, right. we need to root that out, and, and it's a cause for repentance. Right. And so, on, no matter what your color is, right, <laughs> correct, and or ethnicity. And on that note, that's why ultimately, what we need to be about is the proclamation of the gospel, because the gospel is that which cuts across 
all ethnicities, across all demographics. It is the truth. It is what all man needs. And it will, it as it says in Ephesians 2, Jesus is the, the one that tears down the wall of partition. And so therefore, our closing thought is this, twofold. One, black lives matter. Two, proclaim the gospel. We thank you for listening to this episode of Ordinary Fellowship, a podcast ministry of Two Rivers Community Church. For more information about Two Rivers, you can find it on our website at www.tworiverscc.org. We look forward to your questions, your comments, and even dreaded hate mail at ordinaryfellowship at gmail.com. Please follow us on Facebook at Ordinary Fellowship and like, subscribe, and rate this podcast on whatever service you listen to us on. But for now, we want to thank you once again for listening to this episode of Ordinary Fellowship, where we are striving to have spiritual conversations for practical Christian living.